You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. I have just been podcasting my little heart out the last couple days. Uh, I recorded one last night. I recorded one tonight. I got another one set up for Monday and potentially another one for next Wednesday. Uh, So yeah, lots and lots of stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, As I've said before, the show just continues to grow and I'm continually amazed by it. So thank you guys, everyone listening to this, everyone sharing it. Uh, for the growth because it's pretty amazing. Um, I went from like really struggling to kind of find somebody to have on every week to all of a sudden I have a waiting list and I'm having to like put people off. And so again, that is because of you guys and thank you very much for that fact. So we got a great one today, but real quick before we get into that, I want to give you guys a little update of my weekend. It was a, a awesome one, really. Uh, so I ended up making it to the Total Archery Challenge this weekend. I barely made it, so in bed Friday night, uh, I was going to set an alarm, and I was like, you know what? I don't need to set an alarm. I was like, I normally wake up sometime between like 7.30 and 8.15 naturally, and I was like, yeah, you know, that'll give me plenty of time to get there. So didn't set an alarm and uh, wake up the next morning, look at my phone, and it's 9.30. And that was definitely, you know, I needed to be on the road before then. So jump out of bed, jump in the truck. Luckily, I already had my bow and everything in there. Drove out to old Hochatown, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, uh, southeastern Oklahoma. And, uh, man, I pull into the park, and uh, they actually had people there, like, sorting people to make sure, like, hikers and stuff didn't go into the area, that it was only people there for the shoot. And so I thought that was pretty cool, but uh, man, I didn't realize until I got in why that needed to happen. There were so many people there. It was awesome. Uh, I had to park on the side of the road, which if you've ever been to Broken Bow Lake, that is easier said than done. Uh, you know, it's very rough, mountainous terrain. And so I pull over into the ditch, park. I, you know, walk up the hill past a couple of the courses, actually, uh, make it down to where the main area is. 
And uh, there's companies from all over the place, mostly Western companies, which was really cool because you don't we don't get a lot of those people uh, over here in the East much. And so, I mean, Sitka was there, Kuyu, Kifaru, um, all the big Western uh, stuff was there. Obviously, there was, uh, you know, bow companies, arrow companies. There were some local shops there, which was really cool. And so, walk past all that, uh, go to the registration, get registered. Turns out I got there just in time for my time slot, so I was in the 12.30 time slot. Uh, they had multiple courses, which was really cool, kind of, you know, varying difficulties and everything. I decided to do the Leopold course, which was 20 to 60 yard shots with kind of varying uh, angles and steepness, but nothing too extreme. And so, I basically turn around, head back up to the shuttle area, Uh, get up there and I'm, you know, waiting with my group to head out and uh, actually got paired up with another uh, longbow guy. So that was kind of neat and got to talk to him, pick his brain a little bit. Oh, I took the longbow, by the way. I think I mentioned that I was going to do that. Um, So yeah, got a lot of funny looks, got a lot of encouragement, which was nice. And so they loaded a big group of us up on the shuttle. Uh, The whole thing was very well run, by the way. It was super organized, uh, very easy, you know, signs and people pointing in the right direction. So big group of us go up, we get to the course, and then it kind of, it almost kind of turned into like a golf course type thing. So within the big group, you kind of broke down into smaller groups. And so, you know, like two to four people would shoot, they'd go up, get their arrow, move on, the next couple of people would shoot. And so ended up shooting with the uh, the one longbow guy, he was from Louisiana, and then uh, two other guys from Missouri, which was really cool, and uh, their wives were there. Uh, so we had a, a fun little group to move around, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. I learned so much. So before going to this event, uh, the furthest shot I'd ever taken was 30 yards. I think one time at a hay bale, I might have scooted back to like 40 or something because I had an entire hay bale to hit. Uh, but as far as my practice and stuff, I, like, I had scooted back to 30 a couple times. So that was about it. Uh, like I said, the course was 20 to 60 yards. Um, most of the time I ended up scooting up on targets, you know, like I would say the average shot, um, that, you know, you were supposed to take was probably like 40 to 45 yards, you know, some pretty good shots. Um, so I would usually scoot up a little bit more than that. Uh, my average shot was probably in like the 30 to 33 range somewhere in there. Um, so yeah, I took a lot, a lot of further shots than I, uh, thought I would or had ever done before. Um, I started off strong guys. I was dominating. Uh, I think I hit, I want to say seven out of the first like 10 targets. So doing really good. And I mean, like basically just guessing, you know, like, all right, I'm going to aim here and it would work out. And then, uh, there was this one target. It was a, a bighorn sheep, ram, whatever. And, uh, they had put this little bitty thin, like two inch oak, like right in the middle of its vitals. And I can't remember what I was shooting at. I was probably like 27 yards, something like that. Drew back and just split that little sapling in half. I mean, not a sapling. It was a tree. But uh, anyway, just split it right in half. And for some I don't know why, but for some reason, that just completely screwed with me the rest of the time. And I just started missing like crazy. Again, really far shots. And, you know, heart was pumping by this time. We'd done, you know, a decent amount of hiking. And uh, overall, I ended up, 10 for 25, which again is not bad for these distances. And like, even like, I think the closest shot I took was 22 yards, but that was on a skunk target. Like, you know, when you finally got to get up there close, they just shrunk the target down where it was really small anyway. Uh, I think the next closest was like maybe 
27 yards, and it was like a bobcat that was like jumping or something or coming down. So not easy targets. And so overall, I'm pretty dang happy with my 10 for 25. Had a great time. Uh, I can't remember if I said this earlier or not, but after I was done shooting, I uh, went back to the main area. I heard one lady say that this was the biggest first-time event they had ever held. Um, And then I was talking to a guy who worked for Sitka, and he had heard that they were expecting... 400 shooters on Saturday, and the last he had heard, they were at 1,500, and so over a 1,000 people, more than what they thought were going to come, so yeah, that was a whole lot of fun, really enjoyed it, like I said, got with a good group, so that made it fun too, Um, I don't think I've mentioned, so the very last target was a Hogzilla target, so a big old hog, and it was at 60 yards, and so I decided, you know what, last target, I'd only lost one arrow, I should throw that out there too, even with all my misses, I only ended up losing one arrow, which was awesome, that's one of the good things about trad archery that I'm learning, it just doesn't shoot hard enough to, you know, like your arrow doesn't explode, it doesn't, you know, ricochet and go 200 yards the other way, so found all my arrows, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this 60 yard shot, and so uh, reared back, I aimed at least 8 foot over the top of this thing, came up short, Pulled out another arrow, aimed even higher, still came up short. So I did try the 60-yard target. Just wanted to throw that out there, but I did not hit it. Left and right, I was pretty good. I was just short. But So anyway, the Total Archery Challenge was very much worth it. I highly encourage you. Um, from all the rumors I heard, they are definitely going to be back next year because it turned out to be a great event. And so next year when it comes back, all you guys should go try it out. Uh, there were people there from... I mean, I can't even name all the states all over the country, but I also met a lot of cool, you know, just local Oklahomans. Um, Arkansas was there. Louisiana was there. Uh, I saw Virginia, uh, Missouri, like I said, uh, lots of people from Texas. Um, Yeah, just all over the United States. So so overall, great event. Highly encourage it. Uh, And then kind of on a whim, my wife and I decided we'd take the boat out on Sunday because it was a pretty nice day. And so we headed out to uh, Murray Lake, in, uh, south of Ardmore, and uh, I caught actually two first. Uh, it was actually, I think I've talked about this before, it was my first ever fish out of my boat uh, in a lake. I, I've put it in, you know, like local ponds and caught fish out of it, but it was my first ever fish out of a lake in my boat, and it was also my first ever smallmouth. I've never caught a smallmouth before. And so, I uh, caught one, I don't know, dinker, I, I put it on Instagram, you know, nothing special, and then uh, a little bit later, I caught a, a pretty much, a pretty nice one, and so, I was very happy with that, caught two fish, we were only out there for, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours max, um, but yeah, it was good to get the boat out, um, my wife just wanted to get out of the house, uh, you know, and so, we took the boat out, had a good time, caught some fish, and uh, yeah, overall, great weekend, like I said, so... That was that. Um, this weekend, I don't know if I've talked about this or not. Uh, I might have mentioned it, but I'm actually headed uh, to West Texas this weekend to do some turkey hunting. Uh, so definitely looking forward to that. Going with my boss and his son again. Um, his dad's been out there, said he was seeing some birds. And so very excited about that. Getting a little jump on Oklahoma, headed out to Texas. and uh, But yeah, that is a perfect segue into this week's episode because we are getting on the turkey train and today I talked with uh, Bobby Armstrong, and Bobby's a volunteer with the National Turkey National Wild Turkey Federation. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, we just talked about uh, some hunting stuff. He, we, you know, we talk about calling uh, decoys. We talk about why birds hang up, what you can do if they do hang up. And then uh, at the end, I, I ask Bobby about uh, just turkey numbers in his area. 
And uh, he has some great insight that he learned uh, through the National Wild Turkey Federation just about population dynamics, uh, you know, if turkeys are down, why they're down, um, why they've restructured the season, why they went to the one bird limit. And so just super informative. Uh, Again, you know, we kind of go from the hunting to the biology part. Um, so that was super neat. And then next week, uh, I the interview I'm doing on Monday is with um, a biologist for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, her name's Annie, and so we already got that set up. So this week we're going to do kind of the hunting side of turkey hunting. And then next week we're going to deep dive more into the biology side of turkey hunting. And so all good things coming up. It's springtime. Turkey hunting's here. Fishing's here. Uh, tornadoes are here, you know, the weather's going all kinds of crazy, but that's just to be expected. And so, so yeah, I hope you guys are excited for this episode. I had a great time. I really enjoyed getting to do this before I go turkey hunting this weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of repaying the favor to you guys that's going to come out before the opener of Oklahoma's turkey season. So overall, just great timing on all this. So I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my interview with Bobby Armstrong. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we're talking to Bobby Armstrong. How you doing, Bobby? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Now, do you prefer Bobby or Bob? Bobby. Bobby. Okay. All right. I got you. All right, Bobby. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Um, You know, part of this podcast that I enjoy is I get to kind of almost take advantage of people a little bit and get some information, and uh, I'm actually going turkey hunting this weekend out in West Texas uh, pretty close to where you are, I think. I'm going out to the Panhandle, and uh, so I yep. get to pick your brain about turkey hunting right before I go, and so I'm pretty excited right. about it. Uh, but real quick, before we uh, jump into all that, why don't you just tell everybody who you are and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Bobby Armstrong. I live in Sarah, Oklahoma. I, um, I'm a volunteer with the National Wild Turkey Federation. I'm on the state board of directors here in Oklahoma, and um, I'm I'm the Save the Hunt coordinator for the state of Oklahoma, and I've been turkey hunting for about 30 years now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, real quick, what is the Save the Hunt Foundation? So the Save the Hunt coordinator, every the NWTF has a volunteer in every state mm-hmm. that is serves as a state, state Save the Hunt coordinator, and their primary role is just to work with local chapters on setting up different types of hunts uh, throughout the state. And our main focus is recruiting people into hunting. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, man, you're definitely the person I need to talk to then. Well, uh, I'll, I'll warn you before we get into this. I am a, uh, I am kind of a weekend warrior turkey hunter, so I've killed some turkeys in my days. Um, I know just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be good. And so that's why I like having people on you, or people like you on here to, to educate people. And so I'm, like I said, I'm pretty excited about this for myself. So, Well, I am not no master turkey hunter. I'll, I'll be the first one to say <laughs> that. But, um, you know, I grew up had, having to be self-taught turkey hunting because my mm-hmm. uh, people who got me into hunting, my father and my brother, didn't turkey hunt. Mm-hmm. This was I was self-taught um, turkey hunter, and I've made a few mistakes in in my <laughs> life. So, 
Well, that's how you learn. Keep from them, keep going. Yeah, yes, sir. That's yes, right. Sir. That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I got some questions here in front of me that we're going to run through, and uh, I kind of somewhat tried to put them in order of kind of, you know, beginner, intermediate, and then later on we'll talk about some more, uh, maybe slightly more advanced stuff, but nothing too crazy. I'm trying to keep this light. And so, um, so yeah, if you're ready to roll, let's dive into some of these. All right, let's go. All right. So let's pretend that I'm a, a beginner turkey hunter, which is not too far off, and uh, and I want to get into turkey hunting. Uh, what type of calls should I be looking at, and then what are just some of the basic types of noises and calls I should be able to make with that call? So I think a lot of people that's getting into turkey hunting sees all kinds of calls. You know, you got mouse calls, you got dive uh, box calls, slate calls, or pot calls now. And there's just, it can be overwhelming and everything. So what I try to tell new hunters is to pick one call, uh, typically either a pot call, which is what I learned on, or a box call are typically the two easiest type calls to learn. And just stick with one call and master that call. Um, try to get to where you can make all the sounds that a turkey can make on that call. And once you're you're good at that, then move to a different type of call and learn that call. So as far as uh, some basic calls that they should be able to make, first and foremost, they need to be able to make a yelp. Um, you know, and there's just a simple yelp. And then learn the cadence of a turkey. You know, it's kind of like playing a musical instrument. And a, a female hen, she'll um, do a cadence of three to four yelps, a yelp, 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 or yelp, 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 yelp. And just learn, try to mimic what she is doing and practice that. Um you know, with technology nowadays, they've got all kinds of uh, audio devices that plays turkey calls, and just practice the yelp and mimic that until you get good. Once you get good, then you might try a putt. Um, you know, learn how to do the putt, and then um, purr is another one that I like to do. Just the purr, I use that just to be a general content. You know, hey, everything's good in the woods. I'm just gonna be moseying around here and kind of makes all the animals at peace when you do some purring and stuff like that. So, gotcha. all, right. all right. And how important is, uh, not, I mean, you talked about cadence and I'm sure that's important, but also like I, I'm coming from experience here. So I remember back when I was in high school and I bought a, a little slate call at Cabela's and on the back, it said, you know, when doing Yelps do, you know, whatever, six to nine Yelps in a row or whatever. And, uh, you know, do the numbers and stuff like that really matter, or is it, uh, yeah, I guess just does it matter in general, or is it just kind of making a noise? Well, it's not making a noise because you're actually trying to communicate with a, with an animal. Mm-hmm. So I listen to hens and how they communicate and try to mimic them. Uh, you can do a longer set of yelps to where you kind of start off low and then uh, increase your volume and then come back low. And that's what uh, hens will do if they're lost. That's a lost yelp. So, yes, the number does matter, and then the way you do it will also matter as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, I'm still a box caller. I uh, I've tried using yeah. mouth calls, and I something about the way my mouth is shaped. I can't use a turkey call. I can't use an elk call. Any kind of mouth call. Um, so I'm still a, a box call user. I probably need to get a slate. And, and try my hand at that um but uh you know as far as like picking a call somebody's out there for the first time 
Is there any reason they shouldn't try to jump to, say, a mouth call? Is it better to start with a box call and then move to a slate? Or um, do you think just I would pick say, one? I would say the mouth call will be the last resort call because it is by far the hardest to master. Mm. Well, I say it's the hardest to master. A wingbone call is, is or a trumpet <laughs> call is not an easy call to master either. Mm. But your, your pot calls or your slate calls and your uh, box calls are – pretty easy to learn how to do them um and like i said i would only do one until i mastered it and then go do another one on there because i think when you try to work on two different calls at the same time then it kind of gets confusing and it, it gets frustrating and then when you get frustrated you want to put the call down and you don't want to pick it up and practice with it gotcha gotcha awesome all right so now we we bought our call and we've been practicing, and we, we know how to make some, some calls and noises. Uh, let's talk about actually, you know, kind of where to hunt, how to find birds. So let's say, you know, whether people have their, their 40 or their 160 or their public land, whatever it is, and they're either staring at a map or Google Earth, they're getting, you know, maybe it's the day before and they're getting ready to go out. Um, what should they be looking for is just being able to find birds or where they might be able to locate birds. So on... It really depends, you know, the way Oklahoma is, is broke up. Uh, you got uh, more uh, woodland area in the eastern part of the state that's more open in the western part of the state. So I'll take, since I'm more familiar with the western part at this point in time, because I've hunted it more here in the last several years. Um, the western part, you just want to look for roost trees. So roost trees, you want to look for, you know, cottonwoods along uh, creek, break, creek banks um, and so forth. And that they also like wheat fields this time of year. Uh, so, you know, they, if there's cottonwoods nearby a wheat field, then chances are you may have uh, birds. But if you have cottonwoods and it's got a lot of cedar trees up underneath those cottonwoods, then there may not be any turkeys in there because the uh, the cedar trees will run the, the turkeys out of that area. Um, in the eastern part of the state, it might be, you know, you want to look for um, pine trees, tall trees. They like to roost in those. Uh, they do like open fields. Um, if you can find fields, you know, whether it's a hay field or something like that, they like to uh, mosey around there and pick up bugs and stuff like that. So that'd be a couple of the places I would look for uh, and start. But the biggest thing is, is to go out in the mornings uh, before season and just get out there before daylight and listen and see if you hear any birds gobbling. Um, if you hear them gobbling, then that tells you for sure they're in there. Uh, if you don't hear any birds gobbling, that does not mean they're not in there. They just may be quiet for that day. So um, definitely let you know if there's birds there, uh, and it may let you know if birds are not there. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Is water important when it comes to turkeys, or is it more the trees and the open fields and stuff? Well, birds need, you know, they just like all animals, they need water, mm -hmm. um, but they don't drink that much water. Mm -hmm. So uh, a little a puddle of water can suffice them a lot of times. Um, you know, western Oklahoma out here, in which you're going to hunt in the Texas Panel, I mean, we're, we're in a drought right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they do look for water sources, um, but it's not, I'm looking for roost trees. Roost trees is going to be my number one thing I'm looking for is where where's that turkey roosting at? Uh, is it suitable habitat for him to work, uh, roost in there? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Awesome. I love that you talked about roost trees because that has to do with my next question. 
uh, and that is it. You know, you hear people uh, about roosting birds. You know, going out the night before, and you know, with binoculars trying to watch birds fly up into the roost so they can get on them the next morning. Is I guess first of all, is that worth it? You know, knowing where that roost is, and then also, um, let's say you do roost a bird. How close or how far away from that roost should be the, the next? Bo- yeah, excuse me. Should you be the next morning when you go in there to hunt him? So, any, I, I look at turkey hunting as playing chess. So I'm trying to figure out what that that my partner or the person I'm playing's next move is going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how I turkey hunt. I'm trying to figure out what their next move is. So the more advantage I have. Uh, when I start the game, the better I can play the game. So if I, if I can go out and roost the night before and I can roost some birds and I know for a fact what tree they're in, uh, more times out of not, they will be in that same tree that next morning. Very seldom. There's got to be some major things for that turkey to move out of that tree uh, by the morning. So you, you roost the bird, you know what tree's in, then you can go back and then you can come up with a game plan, kind of what you're plan of attack is going to be and you will look at uh, make a plan on how close you want to get and that's where i'm going to decide well how close can i get based on the terrain and the uh the habitat you know is it extremely wide open well then i may get a ways have to get away from them uh, but if it's some place i can use a uh, hill or something like that to sneak in then i may sneak in um, and get closer to them um the hardest thing to judge is, is he's got four ways. When he flies out of that tree, he's got four ways he can go. Mm-hmm. And you can only cover one of those ways. Mm-hmm. So there's three other ways that he can go uh, based on his mood. Mm-hmm. So that's what you got to think about. You got to kind of think, where is this turkey going to go? Now, if you've been watching this turkey and he's roosting in these group of trees and then every morning he flies down and he, he walks to the south, well, then chances are I'm going to come around and set up to the south and hope that he, that's what he still does. Now, uh, most of the time, it's my luck. He will go another direction just that one day, which is frustrating. But um, that's what I'm going to do. So as far as getting close to it, it's, it's really how close can I get, you know, without getting busted. Now, I've actually walked under trees with mm-hmm. turkeys in, the, in there, and they didn't know I was there. But um, I've also walked up and heard the – the dreadful poof, 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 where they just mm-hmm. blew out of the tree like you just you messed your hunt up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, a quick little a quick little flashback to high school. Actually, on the same property where I'm about to go this weekend, uh, me and two of my buddies we uh, drove all night to get to his grandma lives there. That's how we have permission to hunt there. Uh, we went to school on Friday, drove all night to drive out there. Woke up early Saturday morning. We go creeping through the woods looking for a spot to set up. And all of a sudden, my buddy taps my shoulder and points up. And we look up, and there's probably 50 turkeys roosted in this tree right above us. And uh, you know, we walked off about 30, 40 yards and set our decoys up thinking we were just going to you know, clobber them when the sun came up. And needless to say, they did not come into us. But uh, so that's, yeah. That was kind of the root of that question because uh, you definitely can get too close. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. All right. So uh, I want to go back to calling here just a little bit. And, um, you know, Oklahoma well, this year is going to be a little different because they've restructured their season a little bit and the dates 
you know, I'm a southeastern Oklahoma guy, so I've always kind of had to deal with the later birds. Uh, this year, everybody kind of has to, but um, right. d- does your calling change kind of throughout the season? You know, like, do you call differently opening day as opposed to closing day? Um, and if if you do uh, call differently, is that more because of, you know, like pressure or something like that? Or is it more because of how the birds act? You know, like, is it getting closer to summer? Uh, does it have something to do with the breeding season? Um, I guess just talk about calling and how you call throughout the season. Uh, so I call, I always start calling sparingly. First season, in the season, the, the least amount of calling I, I can do is sometimes better because you can over call. Um, now, once I get a turkey, so this, and I call that blind calling. So I'm calling, I don't know if there's a turkey out there. So I will call, I'll do a couple of sets of yelps, uh, maybe some putts and purrs um, through there. And I'll do that every 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And and basically I'm blind calling. I'm trying to see if there's a gobbler that will answer me. Now, once I get a, a gobbler to answer me, then I'm going to take his temperature. And what I mean by that is if he's aggressive, I'm going to be aggressive. If he's not really aggressive, in other words, I'll yelp. And then there's a pause, and then he'll gobble. I mean, he's not really that aggressive. But if I start yelping and he cuts me off while I'm yelping, so I'm halfway through my cadence, and he gobbles, I know he's pretty hot. Mm. And that will that will tell me how much calling I need to do to that bird um, on that. So that's what I'm going to do, and that's, that's throughout the whole season on that. Now, um, if I think he's with some hens, then I will stop calling to him, and I will start trying to call to those hens. So let's say I, I hear some hen yelps with him. Then if I know I have a call, this is where you have multiple calls come in handy, because if I have a call that has the same tone as, as that hen that's yelping does, well, then I'm going to try to mimic her, and I want to sound just like her. And if she yelps, I'm going to yelp. And what I'm trying to do is make her mad. Mm-hmm. And if I can make her mad, she will come looking for me to fight. She thinks I'm another hen. And if she comes look for me to fight, she's going to bring the tom with her, and then that gives me a chance to um, harvest him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of your skill as far as the weather, so on the weather, if it's windy like today, I mean, we've got gale force winds out mm-hmm. here. Um, if I was turkey hunting today, I would try to find low-lying areas, and I would use a box call that I could be extremely loud on so I can get my, my call out there. Whereas, you know, a trumpet call would be almost impossible to use mm-hmm. in, in weather, in windy weather. Mouth calls, you can do that a little bit louder, but the box call is what I'm going to be, might be my primary call because of that. And then, of course, if it's raining, you know, rain, can, a lot of your calls will be affected by rain. And even it doesn't even have to rain; it's just the moisture from the rain uh, can affect some of those calls because they're friction calls. So I make sure I have calls that I can operate in the rain, um, you know, versus non-raining days. So, gotcha. I want to take, hope, that, hope that helps. Yeah, I want to take one quick step back. You mentioned, you know, if the if the gobbler's fired up, that's going to change your calling. Does that make you want to call more or less if he's real fired up and cutting you off? If he's cutting me off, I'll probably start calling more. Gotcha. Okay. Now, keep in mind the way nature works, the hen goes to the gobbler. Mm-hmm. We're trying to reverse that. 
So, you know, I, and I kind of tell people, even on deer hunting and that, think about how most of us acted when we were in junior high and high school. You know, we, we seen a girl and we liked her and we was kind of bashful and everything, or, or that's kind of how turkeys will act too. You know, um, if, um, you know, you're kind of bashful until you see another turkey go over there and start talking to the hen, well, then you'll want to go talk to her too. And it may have you be more aggressive at that point in time. So I use that and keep that in back of my mind. And I, I try to have a conversation with that gobbler is making him think that I'm the, the girl, the girl of his dreams and get him to where he wants to come see me versus me come see him. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. All right. Uh, another calling question, and you also covered this just a little bit, but I want to talk about calling to like a single bird versus multiple birds. And, you know, you mentioned if you, if it's a Tom and he's got some hens, you're going to call to those hens. But what if you have yep. multiple gobblers versus a single gobbler? Are you trying to do something different there? No. The, so the way, if there's multiple gobblers, you know, two, three, four gobblers in a, in a group, uh, there's one boss gobbler. And you're really calling that boss gobbler. He's the one, he's the dominant bird, and those other gobblers will do what he does. So they may all gobble with him, and it's pretty exciting when you have three turkeys gobble at the same time. It's real loud and everything. Kind of gets the hair on the back of your neck stands up. But uh, there's that boss gobbler is the one you need to call to, and because if he comes, the others are going to come too. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, awesome. I like it. I like it. All right, I want to switch gears just a little bit here, and um, this is something that always comes up with turkeys. And let's talk about decoys here for a second. So, um, do you have uh, a go-to setup? You know, is there an advantage to having, say, uh, Jake versus a strutting Tom? Uh, do you mix a hen within it, um, or you know, if you do do different ones, maybe when would you use one as opposed to another? Uh, so, just give us a quick little overview of decoys. So I've seen decoys help you, and I've seen decoys hurt you. Um, I've actually seen gobblers come up. You'd be working a gobbler, and then he gets close where he can see a decoy, and for whatever reason, he didn't like that decoy, and he'll shut up and turn and walk off. Um, and that that's happened several times. Then I've had some that see the decoys, and they'll come running in. There's um, there's one decoy that I have. Um, I didn't. I looked at it on the shelf at, at the store for many, many years, and I never would buy it because I thought it was the stupidest decoy I ever seen. And I had a friend from Altus ask me about if I had one, and I uh, told him I didn't. And it's that, and it's the funky chicken. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I don't know about. if you've seen that thing, uh-huh. but that's the ugliest thing ever. But I've actually used that, and that's that's going to be my go-to decoy right now because um, I was calling. Uh, me and my wife was hunting one day and the, there was a gobbler behind us. We were in the ground blind and there was a gobbler behind us and he was coming, but I knew he was going to swing and circle in front of us so for her to get a shot. Well, as he was doing this, there was a hen that came in front of us. And so uh, my fear was, well, he, when he sees the hen, he's going to go with the hen. So mm-hmm. he gets in front of us. He sees the hen. He actually crosses path of the hen and goes to my decoy and starts trying to fight my decoy. He did not pay that hen a bit of attention once he seen that decoy. So um, that was a, I'm bought and sold on the funky chicken. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Is there a situation where you might use that and a hen, or do you think that's just good enough? 
uh, of course, I go back to when we were in high school and junior high, you know, it's, so yeah, if, if, if you got the, the football player that sees the, the girl, the cheerleader with the, the, the wimpy person, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, the football player will go over and bow his chest out and try to, to run the, the, the weaker uh, person off. Mm-hmm. And that's what turkeys do too. So yeah, there's times I'll put a hen out there with them. Um, and especially, you know, if you do like a, a hen in a breeding deal, like she's getting bred, mm-hmm. um, and I do that with a Jake. So if I don't care, before I carried the funky chicken, I, I would carry a hen and Jake decoy um, with me. And I didn't always put them out, but I'd have them with me in my a bag of arsenal in case I thought they would help pull them into me. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any instance where you might pull out the full strutter? You know the. The, the I have used you see that you see the uh, guys that use the full strutters and walk behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have used that; um, it does work. Um, I would not use that on any type of public land, though. Yeah, <laughs> um, because um, and it's it's extremely dangerous to do that, and and even private land that you may think you have by yourself. We have so many people that unfortunately. They're not turkey hunters because mm-hmm. they jump fences and don't have landowner permission, so they may be out there too. But that that using that full strutter and, and kind of walking behind does does work. Yeah, but you wouldn't just put a full strutter out there with a hen and sit over it. Sometimes it works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but I've also seen the other two times that it it scared turkeys off because. Mm-hmm. If, if the turkey that's coming in is not a dominant turkey, mm-hmm. um, he is not, you know, and he may think that strutter is a dominant turkey and he may, he don't want to fight him. So mm-hmm. he'll see it and walk away. So I've seen it hurt people too. Now, if the turkey that you call in is the dominant, that's his area. then yeah, he's going to come and try to fight the guy. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, this next one's kind of a, I think a fun question, but also a frustrating topic. Uh, and I got to tell a quick little story here before we get into it. But I want to talk about birds hanging up. And that can be, you know, a fence, a creek, a log. It seems like they'll hang up on just about anything. So last year, uh, my buddy and I and his son were out there in West Texas. And we had a set up and we had a barbed wire fence about 60 yards to our left. And uh, But we were expecting the birds to come from somewhere else. That's why we didn't pay much attention to it. Well, of course, we had two nice toms come from the other direction and they walked up to that fence, and we called at those suckers for 45 minutes. And they just, I mean, back and forth, back and forth, would not come across it. They actually left. We called them back in, and they hung up on the fence a second time. And we had it, you know, they, they could see our decoy out there. And uh, and they actually, they ended up crossing eventually because a third Tom came out of nowhere and just walked right up to that fence and just walked right under it like it wasn't there to start with and walked over to our decoy, and then that pulled the other two over, and we actually ended up killing all three of them. Uh, But just we got to see two very different reactions to, you know, a barbed wire fence. Like I said, they'll hang up on logs, whatever. Why is it, do you think, some of them hang up and some of them don't? It seems like more hang up than don't. Uh, but just any idea why they do that and what are some things you can do if a bird does hang up to coax them over? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And, uh, I don't think anybody has the answer to that as to why they hang up because you're right. I, I've had them hang up then I've had them walk right underneath the fence too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
I've had them fly from one ridge to another ridge, you know, where I wouldn't have thought they would have done that. Uh, so predicting what they're going to do, by the time you figure out what they're going to do, they'll do something different. Mm-hmm. But on a situation like like yours, uh, one, I, I would want to know where all my uh, things that can hang them up is at. And if um, on your situation, if I called them to the fence and they turned around and, and left after a while, and I called them again, it sounded like they would get close. And I would have belly crawled or something mm-hmm. over that fence and got up against that fence. And mm-hmm. that way, if they got hung up again, we it would have been a different story because I've been in a different position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, just trial and, trial and error. You know, you may have to move and go around and reset up. Um, but I, I tell you one thing that I, I've done – um, and it's worked extremely well. And I don't know how many people do this, but um, I carry a gobble tube with me as well. Mm-hmm. And if I've got, I'll, I like to hunt with somebody. Uh, hunting turkey by myself is not as fun as hunting with somebody else. So what I'll do is if I'm hunting with somebody else, um, I will leave them right there where, where they're at. And then I will walk 100 yards behind them. And, but as I walk, I'll walk about 10 or 15 yards and yell. And I'll walk 10 or 15 more yards and yell. But when I get about 100 yards from them, I will do what's called a cut on a mouth call. And it's an excited um, cutting. And then I'll gobble with that gobble tube to make it sound like that another gobbler has snuck in and took and fixed and take the hen uh, from them. And a lot of times they will overcome that obstacle and come in and um, I've had people tell me that that sit there that they've had to shoot the turkey on a run because he was at a dead run coming to me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like that's what happened with you guys. Mm-hmm. They were hung up until they seen that third gobbler going over there and they're like, oh, no, he mm-hmm. can't have our girl. Yep. And that's he crossed the line. So <laughs> something to think about, again, though, I would be extremely careful about gobbling because you are imitating a male turkey and mm-hmm. – um, you know, if you're on public land, you don't know if there's any other hunters within earshot that may be thinking that you're a gobbler and coming to you. And even on private land, there's many people that, that are poaching and by hopping the fence. Um, you just got to be careful on that mm-hmm. when you do that, if you decide to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I like the idea, though, retreating to make them come closer. I like that. Get them, get them over that option. Yeah. Well, it just makes it sound like the hen's lost interest. She's not coming to them, and she's going on about her way. And, and oh, she's found her another boyfriend. It's <laughs> like, oh, no, no, he didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here they come. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, I got one more for you, and I'm not sure if this okay. is a scientific question or a personal question or what, but uh, shooting jakes, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Um, I've heard a lot of people say you should not shoot Jake's because, you know, that's next year's Tom's. Um, I've heard some pretty high up people, uh, that, you know, are huge turkey hunters say, why not shoot a Jake? You know, either way it's a bird gone. So again, I don't know if you want to answer this from a, from a NFT standpoint or just a personal standpoint, but where do you sit on shooting Jake's? Well, my personal standpoint is, is I realize I'm not the subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's biologists that work for the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife that are the subject matter experts. They, they went to school studying turkeys, uh, studying birds. Uh, they Every day when they go to work, that's their job is to think about the birds and, and what we should or should not do. So I always fall back on 
whatever the wildlife departments, um, whatever their their laws are, is what I'm going to follow, or I'm okay with. You know, if they tell me that not to shoot jakes, then I won't shoot a jake. Um, and even if they tell me jakes are legal, I still may not shoot a jake um, mm-hmm. because I, I like the one. I like the more meat um, in that, but. I'm okay if you shoot a jake, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. As long as it's a legal bird and you're following the the uh, regulations, hunting regulations for the wherever you're hunting at, I'm okay if you shoot it. Now, I've heard that you know jakes, a lot of jakes don't breed. They're not old enough to breed, uh, so they're not really breeding anything. But then you got the argument, like you said, that that's next year's two-year-old bird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. I just follow whatever the wildlife department um, or department of parks and recreation set as far as their regulations. And I, you know, that's all I expect is people to follow that. And then they have to make their own decision uh, to shoot or not shoot. I mean, and, and, and legally in Oklahoma, a bearded hen is legal to shoot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big controversy. You know, do you shoot a hen that's, that could be nesting on eggs mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. But, it's illegal now. I'm not saying I will go out and shoot again. I have really no desire to do that, but you know, it is legal, and I'm not the subject matter expert to, to determine to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I like the answer. I like the answer. I got one more question. Small. I don't know if it's a surprise right. question, but just what a what's the population like out there right now? Um, you know, I've heard a lot of reports from people that turkey numbers are way down i've heard other people that they're just fine um how are the western oklahoma birds looking right now so i've been out here in western oklahoma since well for 10 years since 2012 and when i first moved out here 2014 2015 2016 uh man i've never seen turkeys in this many numbers i mean it's you'd see a flock of 100 to 150 in a flock mm. It was crazy. I, I said one time one time on a deer stand, I counted 180 turkeys <laughs> that came past me in a flock. Mm. Um, so that's the numbers when I first moved out here. The numbers are not like that where I'm where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might see 60 to 70 turkeys in a flock mm-hmm. um, at best. So um, do I think the numbers are down? Yes, I do. Now I was reminded. I read a deal on Facebook today. Uh, remember, I started hunting turkey hunting in, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first started turkey hunting in the 80s, I remember walking uh, the clear cuts of Arkansas, going around the woods there, around the clear cuts, looking for tracks. And the highlight of my hunt was to find a set of turkey tracks. Mm-hmm. That's where I came from. So, yeah. you know, not seeing a turkey, not hearing a turkey. If I just seen tracks, I had a good hunt to mm-hmm. where now, yeah, I expect to shoot a turkey. Yeah. So I don't think our numbers are bad as what they were back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe our numbers will, will rebound. Uh, I know OSU and uh, the wildlife department and Texas A&M are going in together uh, to do some work research. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, uh, they're, I actually got contacted today uh, about, pulling some samples of harvested birds so they can do uh, some genetic testing of birds. But this is a three-year research that they're trying to figure out, you know, what the genetics are, how the, you know, if there's anything going on in genetically that we, that may be altering the, the decline. But they're looking at ways to 
to do that. And I, I believe you talked to the NWTF biologist, Annie Farrell. Um, and so maybe she has more to add to this. But, you know, yeah, my opinion, they are down. But I do think we have a, hunt, a huntable population mm-hmm. of birds. Yeah. You just gave the listeners a sneak peek. Annie's coming up next week. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I just, like I said, you hear a lot of varying reports. Um you know, like I said, last year, West Texas, like you said, numbers were definitely down, but we still saw a lot of birds. And so, um, right. yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. So, uh, but yeah, I'm definitely, definitely not opposed to the regulation changes for this year. You know, if that's what we need to do for a little while to, to help the birds out, I'm okay with that. Um, and I, I hope people respect them. You know, I've tried to get the word out there that uh, the opener is a little different this year. You know, there's a lot of people that are probably looking forward to it or may not have heard i've been trying to get the word out and uh you know i think if we here. i think if we take care of things and uh you know do some habitat work i think the birds are going to be right back so well i agree and before the changes came out last year you know the the two biologists for the department of wildlife came into one of our uh, state nwtf state board meetings and uh, we had a chance to ask questions you know um and i i had some questions as to to, you know, why are we going to one bird limit? Why are we going to, uh, why do they move the seasons back? And, you know, because I'm, I'm a type of person, I want to know why mm-hmm. we're doing stuff. Well, you know, the the fact of the matter is the, the only predator, per se, that the wildlife department can actually control is the human predator. Mm-hmm. And that's, they can regulate bag limits. Um, other than that, they can't make me go trap. Mm-hmm. They can't. You know, they can't put bounties on because just the funding, you know, mm-hmm. the cost of putting a bounty on a fur bear uh, would be outrageous. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that feasible to do that. So, But they can't control how many turkeys uh, hunters take. Yeah. And then the question I had was, well, why are we moving the season from April 6th to April 16th? You know, it's been this historically, it's been an April 6th opening day. Mm-hmm. And one thing they educated me on, and I did not realize this after hunting turkeys for as long as I have, is that when you have a group of gobblers, and there's three or four gobblers in a group, like I said earlier, that there is a boss gobbler of that group. And I knew that. That I did know. Um, but I did not know that that boss gobbler is the only turkey that's actually doing the breeding. Hmm. That is the only turkey those hens will allow uh, to breed them is the boss gobbler. Them other two, three, four turkeys, whatever, they're just there for show. Hmm. They're not breeding the, the hen. So the, the thought process with our biologist was that if you shoot a turkey on April 6th and he's the boss gobbler, well, it takes approximately a week before the other gobblers uh, have a pecking order and determine who's the next boss gobbler. Well, during that week, those hens are not getting bred. Hmm because the gobblers are fighting each other trying to figure out who's the dominant bird to do all the breeding. So with that in mind, if we move the season back to a, an April 16th season, well, then hopefully that will give more hens bred mm-hmm. for when we start shooting the boss gobblers. <laughs> Makes a lot of and sense. It does. Once it was explained to me, it does. And I, I, I support what they're, what they're doing, you know. Definitely, so. definitely. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Bobby. Um, yeah, just the hunting yep. knowledge and that last little tidbit there at the end was extremely uh, uh, knowledgeable, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. So um, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Well, I just hope everybody has, first of all, a safe hunting season, um, and then uh, you know enjoy um, getting out and chasing these birds because they are uh, pretty awesome to 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 chase and to watch and just some of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen with the color phases that they have and, and what. So, but please be safe and, and, uh, take a new hunter. You know, if you, if you harvest one Turkey this year, uh, don't let that be at the end of your Turkey season, find somebody that's never been Turkey hunting and take them along and then go hunting with them. And you, you can still hunt turkeys. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Bobby. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, until next time, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. And there we have it, boys and girls. Another great episode in the books. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Bobby, for coming on. I really enjoyed that. And, man, I am so pumped up for my trip this weekend. Uh, I cannot wait. We're heading out there Friday. Going to do some hunting. I don't know if we'll be able to top last year's triple, but we're sure as heck going to try. And, you know, whether we kill one bird, two bird, three birds, however many birds, or zero birds, I know we're going to have a good time. So very excited for it. And then we're going to come back here, and I'm honestly not sure if I'm going to get to do any turkey hunting in Oklahoma this year or not. Um, You know, we sold our place where I've done all my turkey hunting in Oklahoma. We don't really have any birds on our new spot. And uh, honestly, I just have only so many weekends left before my baby comes that each one is getting more and more important. And so I got to, you know, figure out my plan. Got to get some more deer stuff done before this, uh, well, before the baby comes. Honestly, I was about to say before this fall, but honestly, before the baby comes. So I still have to set up my new blinds. Uh, got to plant my food plots and uh, still have some more fishing adventures and stuff coming up. And so just going to have to see what I can do as far as getting on an Oklahoma bird, but I'm, I don't know. And so, yeah, but very excited for this weekend. I hope you guys can get out there and enjoy God's creation. I hope you can get on some birds. Um, yeah, new regs this year. Make sure you're paying attention to the dates and the limits. And uh, I think that's all I got for you guys this weekend, or sorry, this episode. My mind is just all over the place. I've been podcasting so much recently. So, so yeah, thank you guys for tuning in once again. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And until next time, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors Podcast.